Welcome, welcome. This is episode number 82 of the Bearded Marketers Podcast, the only internet marketing podcast that matters. I'm Rob. And I'm Corey. We drop new episodes every Monday morning at thebeardedmarketers.com slash podcast on iTunes and on Stitcher Radio. You have questions, comments, complaints. Actually, I don't want to hear any complaints. Uh, hit us up <laughs> at thebeardedmarketers.com slash contact or shoot us a text 904-270-9603. We bring you the latest and greatest in internet marketing. We work so hard to do it every week. I mean, it's like 80 degrees in this office yeah. right now. <laughs> well, that along with the mountains of BS out there and blog posts and tweets oh, yeah. and all this other crap we have to go through to find the good stuff. We would appreciate some help from the listeners. If you come across something that you want us to talk about. Shoot again, it our way. Yeah, shoot it our way. Or if you got some spare time, send a review to yeah, iTunes that, that or Stitchers. That helps. That makes me excited every time I see one of those pop up on iTunes. Oh, I almost forgot. What, what are, are we are drinking? Thinking? I am doing some Glenfiddich 15 Double Neat. How about yourself? I'm on a serious old-fashioned kick right now, so I'm doing Knob Creek old-fashioned. Okay, so you went Uh, back. Yeah. Knob Creek. You went went to Mitcherland. It's a little sweeter, a little smoother than Mm -hmm. I prefer. I like a little bit of burn. Knob Creek's got a nice (laughs) You want to know you're drinking something. Yeah, exactly. There you go. So I highly recommend that in an old-fashioned. All right. Give us the rundown. What are we talking about this week? First and foremost, we're going to be talking about Google Express. First of all, what is that? And are they starting to chip away at maybe Amazon? Hmm. Facebook passes YouTube and video views. We're going to move into holiday volatility. What do you need to know to not panic and potentially jump off the ledge when it is holiday season? Understand what the volatility is out there, but also semi-correlated to that. There are some additional reports that we're starting to see that paid search spending is increasing year on year continuing. That's been the case now for a couple of years. So we're going to read into some research about that and maybe the business implications that are there. Customer loyalty, is that even still a thing? I mean, it's the internet. I'm not buying from people anymore. Should I even be worried about that? We'll see. And then last but not least would not be an episode if we didn't talk about Google Corner. What's happening with our overlords in Mountain View? But first, Rob, tell us how Google is going to make our lives even better with Google Express and then later their self-driving cars, which I'll be getting me one of them. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I wanted to talk about Google Express for a minute here because it's something that I had heard of, but if you're outside of some of the major metropolitan cities, it may be something you haven't heard of, unaware of, have no idea that this is even a, a possible thing or a thing from Google. So quickly, a rundown for those who are not aware of what Amazon Prime is. Uh, you pay a, <laughs> where are you living? <laughs> there's a lot of people living under rocks out there. Oh man, um, you pay a yearly fee for discounted shipping rates. Which, by the way, this is something else I wanted to mention. Are you do you know what Prime Pantry is? This is a new thing no. from Amazon. Is this, this is a thing. grocery delivery? Yes, this is a sidetrack really quickly here. So Yeah, I know they had it in Seattle and a couple other places. Well, it's not completely that. So it's not legitimate groceries, but it's stuff that you would buy at a grocery store that aren't perishable, like immediately perishable. So you can buy things like uh, paper plates, bags of chips, Coke Mm. cans, packs of Coke, you know, like whatever it is. That seems very dangerous. It does. (laughs) I I read some of the reviews and they were like, (laughs) yep, it blew up. Uh, But the concept is you get a standard sized pantry box from Amazon, fill it up. And as you add things to it, it says how much room you have left in your pantry box. And there's a $5 flat rate on shipping the box. 
So it's an interesting development because I always felt, you know, Amazon Prime, obviously with the free shipping, if you pay the annual fee, how the hell are they turning a profit when I Absolutely. get a two-day air delivery Maybe of a pen that I just loyalty, bought for $2? Which we'll go into later on. Yes. I mean, I'm sure that that was always their concept, but I think it's become so popular. They're starting to come up with these schemes. How do I get people to actually build a Prime Pantry box over a couple weeks and then get it shipped all at once instead of a million different things whenever right. I come up with the idea to do it? So they're doing a lot of interesting things. For those out there in the e-commerce world who actually ship physical goods to people, I think it's always important to keep dibs on what Amazon's doing with their Prime. I think it sort of points to the future of some of the e-commerce stuff. But anyway, so that's enough about Amazon. So that sort of sets the, the stage overnight. They also do same-day delivery, right? So right. Google Express, and I think they've just rebranded this. I think this was something else before called Google Shopping something. Hmm. It's now called Google Express. It sounds like they're trying to directly compete with Amazon Prime. Amazon Prime same day, though. So this is a same-day shipping service offered in major cities. If you want to check it out, just Google it, Google Express. You'll have to lie, though, and put in a New York zip code or something like that if you're outside the shipping area because, for instance, us here in Jacksonville, you can't even look at the site uh, without <laughs> being in the shopping area. So, so throw in a New York zip code. And you'll be able to see exactly how it works. So it's a pretty interesting setup in that they have like basically couriers go into stores like a Walgreens, mm -hmm. pick up your items for you and bring them to you. And the setup is similar to Amazon Prime. There's that yearly fee, but free same day shipping on eligible orders over $15. Wow. And I mean, these prices seem like they're right in line. So you can literally shop at Walgreens as long as you get over that $15 limit. I mean, it's coming to you same day mm -hmm. in a big city. I mean, that is amazing. And so the big news has been that they've actually signed more companies right. on yes. as authorized merchants with them. More companies and more locations. Okay. And firmed up some of the details of the fees and made them more universal for everybody. Mm -hmm. So Amazon, you better watch out. They're coming for you. Yeah. Um, their branding is a little slicker, a little more colorful, a cleaner, you know, newer, you know it. and it's Google. So it's going to take over the world. <laughs> Just something to throw out there. Again, if you're in a huge metropolitan area, you should check it out. Definitely give it a try. Interesting things in the shipping world. Keep an eye out on what these big players are doing. Because to your point, maybe not necessarily is it the best strategy with what they're doing, but you got to understand that sometimes these programs set customer expectations Absolutely. because of how many people are using them. I mean, not just in my life, I know so many people that have Amazon Prime and now come to expect that sort of level of service from companies. And it's almost a knock on, I shouldn't even say an almost, it's a knock on them if they don't even fulfill that. I mean, it's almost like free shipping's not enough anymore. You got to go to that next level. So keep an eye on that. I think we talked about that enough. Let's go back to early college days, Facebook, when we were still on that. And what is up with their video world? Apparently it's been blowing up and passing YouTube. This I'm is, maybe in the 0.2% of the population who never had a Facebook account. True story. What? I'm not just saying that to be hipster and cool, but I, I didn't have a Facebook account before. Not everyone didn't have a Facebook okay. account. If that even follows. Oh yeah. Yeah. A new report out, Facebook bragging about uh, surpassing YouTube in video views for the first time. So, I mean, there's a ton of stats on this. I'll just throw out some general numbers. Let's look at where these charts start. June of 2013, we're looking at videos viewed in the billions. So it says 0.7. So 700 million views on Facebook versus 15.7 billion on YouTube. Get on my level. Now let's look at probably last month. The chart ends at August 2014, but now we're looking at 12.3 billion views on Facebook versus 11.3 on YouTube. So YouTube's lost a little bit of market share, and I imagine that's because of uh, just the ubiquity of uh, videos everywhere else. But 
Facebook included. The other thing, though, to take to keep into consideration here is obviously Facebook with this very, very sneaky autoplay, which is going to be totally throwing these stats right. off, at least in terms of actual views on videos. YouTube obviously doesn't have that autoplay feature on their website itself. If you're looking at it in terms of pure views of actual plays, then yes, these numbers are valid, but you have to take in consideration all of those other things. I mean, I've seen people mm-hmm. use the Facebook app and yeah, the video play, but they just scrolled right, right. right on by it. And I think that's the, the takeaway there is, and I think this is just more of a challenge to a lot of us marketers. It's very easy to get inundated, which we talked about at the beginning of the show with studies and numbers and big clickbait headlines like this starts to border on, but... To Rob's point, views isn't the end-all be-all. I mean, you want to actually kind of what we were talking about last week, you want to know what the attention is and how much is this actually grabbing the user's intent and potentially pushing across a message that I want to if you're looking at this solely from a marketing standpoint and where I'm going to invest my business and marketing dollars and things like that. So just because Facebook has rapidly increased their viewership That doesn't necessarily mean that the impact will correlate to click-throughs or more brand awareness or things of that nature. So take their bragging with a grain of salt, and uh, you may want to slowly test your way into it. Yes, you might have more plays on your media assets. That might not have the fruit that you might think it would as well as a thought out and executed campaign on something like YouTube or something like that. Yeah. And I think video statistics and analytics are still oftentimes overlooked. I mean, as you're hinting at, and I want to do a shout out for Wistia, which is, you know, a company we, we use and love. And, Friend of uh, the show. Exactly. <laughs> All the Bearded Marketers videos we have on the website are hosted through Wistia. Uh, But some really powerful metrics and some pretty cool tools that give you that deeper insight into, okay, it wasn't just how many people like started playing my video, but how, when were they dropping off? As soon as I started talking about this, they stopped listening. Yeah. How many Mm -hmm. times did they pause at certain points? I mean, some really interesting stuff. It's obviously pay for, which a lot of the other platforms are free, but if you really try and do use video marketing as a tool for your upcoming marketing efforts, which I think everyone should be, sure. uh, it makes sense to invest in those analytics, especially early on. Find out what works, mm-hmm. and then you can you know throw all your videos out on YouTube or wherever else where you don't really get those good stats. Right. All right, moving on. Holiday volatility. Holidays are coming, man. Psh, holidays are here. I mean, allow yourself to buy Christmas brooms or I already cinnamon have brooms. I already have oh, one in my nice. house. It's October. Yeah, it already, it, I've had one for like three or four weeks. It's been smelling like the holidays in my house for like a Anybody. month now. So I wanted to cover some stats because, you know, holidays for many people, especially in the econ world, very stressful. Mm-hmm. Lots of things juggling. Holiday season, things are happening at a rapid pace. And I did want to cover it's an interesting article on Search Engine Land that people should take a, a look at. And why that is, is number one, the author. So this is an article crafted by one of the product managers directly at Google. So this isn't some schlup who just came up with these ideas with his five clients. This is actually a Google employee that's talking about how the holidays change your ad performance. He looks at a lot of the benchmark performance and tries to quantify, you know, some of the volatility and impacts that the holidays can have for you. So just as I just want to read five stats here real quick about what he's done is, and you might have noticed this in your Google Analytics, there's an option to share your stats out to Google anonymously. And they'll ask you kind of what vertical that you work in. But overall, these are some of the stats that they saw from last year as a percent of lift in conversion rate versus a baseline of the normal part of the year. So Cyber Monday, 170% increase 
in transaction rates. Black Friday, 114% rise. The Monday that was following Cyber Monday, 73% increase in transaction rates. That was December 9th, so getting pretty close to holidays. The following Monday, so we're right on the doorstep of Christmas, 80% lift in baseline transaction rate. And then that following Tuesday, so this is December 10th, 68% rise. And why I wanted to talk about that, and he goes into some other stats within this article, is just to understand that when you're running holiday campaigns and just marketing efforts within the holidays, expect some volatility. And I know it's difficult not to panic at certain points because this is the Super Bowl. I mean, this is the one time of year that you have this traffic, you have this opportunity. Uh, but just be aware that there is a lot of volatility out there. And and sometimes that is caused not because you're doing something great or potentially worse, but it's just part of the season. And so understand that if you have criteria that you will start terminating things or really rapidly uh, increasing investment, just understand what time of year that you're working in, but also take advantage of it. The other side of that coin is a lot of people become paralyzed by the time of the season. I've worked with a couple e-commerce people, you know, we do a lot of A-B testing and they refuse to do any sort of testing to the holidays because it's just too risky for them, which I can certainly understand to a point. But again, this is your one time a year where you get to be able to learn things. And so when you are trying to understand what are solid strategies this year, so when we're planning for 2015, this is the type of time where you can understand and potentially run some tests or apply some different strategies, maybe on a micro level, but test the waters out. So when you're planning for next year, you have some good data to back that up. So interesting finding. I'm not going to spend too much time but definitely a good read, especially if you work in e-commerce and just understand it's a crazy time of the year. So just don't panic or be on guard, but don't tend to overreact and understand that there are some things that are going to be shaken up a bit. And one thing on that aspect, there are quite a few reports out there that paid search uh, now that we've wrapped up Q3 is continuing to climb year on year. And I just wanted to mention that in that, and this is particularly looking at Google and Bing, for a lot of companies in certain verticals, PPC on certain channels is becoming a little bit out of reach for them. And I would say that as marketers, one of the things that I would challenge you with to gain some more marketable skills, yeah, see what I did there, you see, <laughs> uh, is to understand where you can get traffic other places. PPC is very easy. There's a, it's a well thought out process. It's very accessible for people. Financials aside, it's something that's easy to work with. You feel like you can uh, quite quickly get into it, but there are some other ways to get traffic. And it seems that as people are spending more and more into it, it might start getting to the point where people are getting pushed out. And so to better serve your clients and your company, or maybe even yourself, it might make sense for you to spend some time and understand how else can I get people to my site? What are some intelligent ways where I can diversify my traffic, maybe get off of relying so much on AdWords or Bing and invest in some other areas to, again, potentially recoup more of your margins, but also create a more stable platform for your company. Because at the end of the day, even though it's a lot of traffic on the net, just solely relying on AdWords can be a very expensive option, but also a very risky one. If that goes away, 
That's your whole business. I did want to mention that PPC spending is continuing to rise year on year, which is good to know. But I also think the actual part there is also one being lean is important, but potentially looking at different sources uh, would be something I'd recommend as well. So the next thing we're going to be talking about customer loyalty. Should we even be caring about them customers? Nah. No. <laughs> How about you? What no. do you think? I mean, obviously we care about customers, <laughs> but customer loyalty programs, it's a really obviously interesting thing that sort of seems like a leftover of the real world, right? Where oh, we yeah. have a million tags in our keychains <laughs> that we swipe at the grocery store. I can't store, find my real keys anymore. <laughs> uh, which I guess is still a thing. I don't know. Do people really use those anymore? Yes. It's sort of, it obviously was invented as a way to let's keep track of mm-hmm. what people purchase on a regular basis, how often, what kind of similar things and, and try to lump people into personas. Kind of got switched up because I guess people didn't, or companies didn't need that you to use a swipe card anymore. We'll just keep My track of your credit card information. Mm-hmm. And now I know what you do. Every time I go to Home Depot, they know who I am just by swiping my credit card. They know my email Big address, uh, which also they gave away my credit card information to everybody in the latest huge leak of credit card data. Uh, Lowe's, here I come. <laughs> no, I'll never go to Lowe's. Home Depot for life. <laughs> anyway, so it's come from the offline world and it's sort of leaked into the online world. But it was always an interesting thing to me because I felt like so many online companies did it purely because offline companies did it too. Mm-hmm. And they, they didn't seem to really put much thought into, okay, exactly why are we doing this? We already have all of this data on people anyway, so it's not really to get data. So the difference in online is it really is to try to get people to be loyal to us, right? Sure. I mean, so that's purely the purpose. It's no longer really to get data because mm-hmm. we already have all that's the internet. I can track everything. Right. So I think a lot of companies miss that connection there and end up doing very half-assed uh, loyalty programs that really aren't even loyalty programs. It's really just signed up to our newsletter list mm-hmm. or the sort of half-assed, let's give you points, and then you right. try to trade in points at some point. Extra but nights. And they don't actually give you anything mm-hmm. uh, that's worth a damn. So it's, it's such a weird concept there. So I know that you have some experience with e-commerce and, and loyalty programs. Mm-hmm. I did want to throw a couple of stats out there really okay. quickly. I don't know give how much... Numbers. I don't know how you know much weight we can throw into some of these things, but just to give you an idea for how consumers out there, when surveyed, feel about loyalty programs. So nearly three quarters of consumers, 73%, said that loyalty programs should be for brands to show appreciation to their loyal customers. So okay. does that make sense, mm-hmm. right? So when asked, obviously people think about themselves. <laughs> When we ask brands, though, 66% think that loyalty programs are for consumers to show loyalty to brands. What? Are you people crazy? (laughs) (laughs) That doesn't even... You're fired. (laughs) That doesn't even make sense. Wow. Just seeing that and reading it, I mean, it sounds like maybe there was some tricky wording in there. Yeah. That was the main part of this article. But there were some other things that I did want to mention because I thought that they were pretty interesting in terms of browsing behaviors. And then we can sort of talk about loyalty programs, maybe a little bit more. Mm -hmm. 80% of consumers said they will search the web, conduct product research, read reviews, and compare prices between different retailers at least 75% of the time before purchasing. I know there were two numbers in there, so Mm -hmm. that might be a little bit confusing, but 80% do it 75% of the time. Right. So potentially having a loyalty program that actually works could stop a lot of that Mm -hmm. stuff. You know, obviously we talk about Amazon all the time and it's kind of this weird version of a loyalty program Mm -hmm. in that you pay and you feel happy about paying for that access to it. And it's... (laughs) 
it's a loyalty program in that, yes, I'm a member and I get member benefits for it, but it's also because I paid for it. Now I feel obligated to use it. It's this awesome psychology that happens on Mm -hmm. people. And a little bit of my experience, and I think this can be distilled not just for e-commerce, but in general. To your point, a lot of people half-ass loyalty programs. They feel like if I incentivize people a little bit, maybe I give them 5% off their initial purchase. I can incentivize them enough to join my loyalty program and essentially have a a marketing list to these people. But that's about where the effort stops. I'll send them out sales emails like I do anyone else, or maybe I put a different header on my emails and send them a postcard or something, and people are supposed to do backflips for me Mm -hmm. as a company. I think that loyalty programs, if you want to really execute them well, is you're trying to establish brand ambassadors. At least this is my thinking on the whole thing is that you want to foster these people to where not only are they loyal to your company, but they're becoming advocates for you out in in real life or online and some other avenues because they enjoy your shopping experience, your customer service, that entire aspect. That goes beyond just having these loyalty programs where we're incentivizing people in checkout or whatever it might be and then just having some emails. It's about developing relevance to them and what was going to make them loyal to your company and how at the end of the day you're going to improve their life, not just mm-hmm. necessarily give them coupons or whatever. So, you know, as maybe as like a sports company, a loyalty program could be potentially that you get a percentage off your products or whatever, but giving me that inside access into the team and some of the inner workings of the sports league that I obviously care about, or I bought a gift for someone, maybe I want to relay that information to them. It's curating this different content and becoming more of a partnership and sharing very interesting and relevant information to where I'm loyal to buy from you, not just because your checkout's great or your website works, that should be a given, but you're doing other things outside of that to where you're continually reminding me the benefits of shopping with you or giving you my time and effort not just necessarily to purchase products, but in my general everyday life. And I think a lot of people fail at that because it does take a lot of work to not only put together, but execute very well, but also, you know, create the personas that you want to go after and do very well. I think another thing that people really struggle with, with loyalty is like you mentioned, it's not very good. And on top of that, what a lot of companies do is they put loyalty programs in place as gates when you're trying to get an action. So a lot of times the services and checkout, they're going to broach you about creating an account and joining their loyalty program. And two things can happen there. One, you're really complicating the action that you're asking for people with them trying to digest all this extra information. But two, what I find a lot of people doing that I think that many companies would be surprised about is people actually do read that and learn that you're not giving them anything. And now, while I was maybe interested in purchasing that, you've turned me off because of this loyalty program. So now I'm going to go do something else, or you've turned me off as a customer completely. And so I think companies really have to watch when they broach introducing a loyalty program. And if you're going to have one, not making it meaningful enough can actually be a detriment to your company because people know that they're semi getting duped. Maybe you don't feel that way, but people can read between the lines and know that you're just kind of half-assing this and it comes through. So, you know, those are sort of the takeaways and stuff that I've worked through with companies to try to better understand and really help set them apart. I think loyalty programs online are just such a complex thing because, again, how you see them in the offline world and how they were traditionally used is for products and services that are commodities, Mm -hmm. right? 
So yeah, I'll sign up for the grocery store loyalty card because I'll get uh, 1% back in gas points or some damn thing, you know, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. It's on a commodity, so I feel like I the prices are going to be virtually the same everywhere, so I mm-hmm. actually am getting somewhat of a discount here. But online, it's so very easy to compare prices across multiple people or companies, that is, websites, that loyalty programs, I feel like, don't do well. They don't stand up to that very well. Uh, hell, let's just use the easy example of, let's say I am part of your loyalty program, but I'm not logged into your site, or you don't show the loyalty program prices very easily on your site. Maybe you don't show those prices in your shopping comparison ads or wherever else come across your traffic. But those are just for commodity sites. I mean, how do you do loyalty programs well for maybe like a, a J Crew, like a fashion type? Type site that look you can only get that stuff from us anyway how and maybe should we even do a loyalty program and if we do how does it ang- get angled differently because i think a, a money discount doesn't make sense there so how do you do that well that's i guess that's the bigger question for a lot of companies too is like for the effort that you're going to put into a loyalty program are you really going to get the return on that or are you better served just creating better content out mm-hmm. there to market to the general public and yep. that I think you're right that sometimes people take a square and are trying to fit it into a circle with these loyalty programs because they feel obligated to have one. But I think that the effort that you are committing to that is probably better served in other areas and you're going to have more mass appeal. And there's a lot of technical issues and how you work through loyalty programs like you were talking about and keeping a consistent experience and making sure that they understand the values and things like that. But again, I think a lot of people need to better ask themselves Instead of just copying my competitors because they have one, could we be probably better served somewhere else by diverting our efforts? All right. We've come to the end of the podcast All with the Google Corner. Google. Let's talk about We started with some Google updates. Yeah, we got to yeah. end it with, an, it's, you know, headstone, capstone. I don't know if those are the fronts and backs of things, but <laughs> that's how I'm going to put it. So what else is going on with Google? Well, I didn't put this in our notes, but new Android version coming in. Thank you. Terrible. Looks Get on great. <laughs> I did want to mention, I think we've talked about this in the podcast a couple of times, Tag Manager, Google Tag Manager, great. It can help you as a marketer, even if you're not technically inclined, accomplish some pretty amazing things through a pretty slick tool. Anyways, I won't go into details about what Tag Manager is. You can Google that. But uh, there were a lot of updates that were recently rolled out for the tool. They have a ton more integrations with third-party tools, a lot of trackers out there. They also just went through an overhaul that allow you to track some very cool events on the page very seamlessly without any tech knowledge. For example, now they have really easy integrations to anytime a form is submitted onto this page, fire off an event. You don't even need to know code. It'll handle that for you. So some very slick things. And the benefit to marketers is I think it will enable you to track more sophisticated things on your site that you feel that technical knowledge was a barrier. Now mm. I think you can get around that and ultimately have a much more mature understanding of what's going on to your site. A couple things with that really quickly because I've been messing around in Tag Manager okay. Uh, a lot of those things are applied to the old UI, so you can t- get access to those, plug mm-hmm. Google Analytics code straight in, add roll code, you know, there's a, there's a snippet for it now. Uh, but there's also a, a completely new UI, which I would compare between the difference maybe between like classic and universal Google Analytics. You have to like upgrade your account. Uh-huh. I was very, very nervous about doing that. So I didn't go through that. But so there are a couple different stages, I guess, of refreshes that have happened. Lots of changes. Check it out if you don't use it. And if you do, take advantage. The next thing I want to talk about, we mentioned this last podcast, and I believe the podcast before, but Google is getting more aggressive about in their search engine results saying, hey, this site that you're looking at in our results page, you're on a mobile phone. 
I don't know if I'd go there if I were you. <laughs> so they've rolled out these mobile site-friendly indicators on mobile search engine result pages much more aggressively. So you need to get on that. Read over the Google guidelines on mobile design and understand if you're failing their checks, why so? And how hard would it be to correct the action? But understand that this could have some serious implications for your click-through rate and organic search traffic because Google is trying to get better about letting people know you're on a mobile device. Even though you're trying to go to Ferrari.com to look at that new car, mm -hmm. their site is all flash and you won't be able to see anything. So keep that in mind. Definitely you should check your site. See if you fall into that category. There's a ton of tools in Google Webmaster Tools. You should be using them at least a couple times a week. Next and lastly, AdWords is now offering local forwarding numbers. So in the past, if you want to do call tracking through AdWords, I don't know why you would, but it was an option. They would only offer you 1-800 and toll-free numbers. That turned a lot of people off because they want to give that local flavor that this is a local company you're dealing with. I'm just Joe Schmo, Bob the Plumber, down the street waiting for you. Uh, and some people complain that potentially the 800 number kind of distracted people away from clicking on that number in the ad. Google's remedied that, so now you can get local numbers and you can actually port your old 800 numbers over and get a local number. So if that's something that you do, know that that's now an option. Uh, there are many other and more thought out tracking solutions out there for phone numbers that I'd recommend, but I'll let that for another episode. And that's going to do it for us this week. Thank you again so much for your time. We enjoyed ourselves. First and foremost, get you cinnamon broom so you can smell them holidays. Also, leave us a review on whatever medium you found us on. It helps us know where we're at with the show and maybe what to change as well. If you have an idea for the show or potentially you're struggling with something, maybe the boss is yelling at you, you don't know where to turn, you can either give us a call or text at 904-270-9603. You can reach us on Twitter or you can even email us at thebeardmarketers.com slash contact. We'd love to hear from you and usually most of our submissions make it on to the very next show. We enjoy hearing from our listeners. Helps us make the most relevant show possible. Plus, sometimes we just get tired of coming up with our own ideas. Hope you all have a great week. We'll talk to you next time. Yeah. Yeah.